0: Morning, Hope. Welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here to worship with us today. My name is Eli Sudarth. I'm the discipleship minister here at Hope Ankeny. And before we even continue, can I just say, wow, I mean, Christmas Eve at Hope this year, were you there? That was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Christmas Eve was so much fun. Here at our campus, we had uh, our three services, all the Hope campuses worshiped on their own. And then on Christmas Eve day on Sunday, we worshiped together in Wells Fargo. All the campuses at Wells Fargo, all things considered, 49,000 people worshiped with Hope this year for Christmas Eve. And that's just amazing. It was one of the most memorable worship experiences I've ever been a part of. And then we've been experiencing our our Advent campaign, all the stars you see on the wall behind me if you haven't been here. We've been raising money all month of December for a missions agency called Child Voice in Uganda. Each star represents a a facility that we're building in Uganda for uh, women who are uh, refugees, displaced from war. Uh, So each star represents $4,000 raised. I lost count of the number of stars, but we've raised over $380,000 for Child Voice this Advent, which is incredible. So I'm just inspired by all the things that you guys have been doing as a church together. I wish, I wish every worship experience could be like Christmas Eve. I want to go back to that. Uh, Christmas Day, Christmas Day was amazing. Guys, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing at all. I didn't do a thing. My wife and my kids and I, we just stayed at home. It was warm and cozy and we enjoyed the food and the presents and I got these new uh, Chicago Cubs pajamas for Christmas and they were so comfortable. Yeah, 99 days till opening day, so go Cubs. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't change all day. I stayed in my pajamas. It was the best. I wish, we could, I wish every day could be like that. I want to go back to that warmth and comfort because then comes December 26th, the most hated day on the, on the calendar, I think. The day after Christmas. What are you supposed to do on the day after Christmas? I mean, you kind of, you go back to work. I know that some of the students in the high schools here, they've got finals after the break. Whose idea was that? Did you study the day after Christmas? I don't know. What do you do? It's almost like a switch flips. Everything that was great about Christmas and leading up to Christmas all of a sudden changes. Like, like snow. Snow before Christmas is the best. It's, a, it's appropriate. You need snow. My, my four-year-old daughter on December 23rd was almost in tears because she was afraid we had missed Christmas. It hadn't really snowed. She thought we missed Christmas. And then it snows on the 24th. We got our white Christmas and it was perfect. Picturesque and beautiful. And then after Christmas, it's just cold. cold. It's just cold. Snow is cold and heavy and wet, and we have to deal with it for at least two more months. It's it's just unnecessary, snow after Christmas. (laughs) Before Christmas, there are all the lights and the decorations, right? Everything looks so festive and beautiful. Here we had so much fun decorating for Christmas. It's, it's It's appropriate. And then after Christmas, we have to take all this stuff down, where does it even go? Do you remember how to get everything back in the boxes and we just throw it all in there and untangle it in 11 months? We haven't even started taking stuff down around here because I'm pretty sure we're going to end up like that. Before Christmas, there's Christmas music. Christmas carols before Christmas is the best. I mean, I don't care how many times I've heard Feliz Navidad. If I'm in a department store, I'm belting that thing out with everybody. just sing it along, and Christmas music is great. And then after Christmas, I don't even want to hear a jingle bell, let alone sing about jingle bells. It's over. Christmas music is done until next year, and that's it. Before Christmas, there's all the food, Right? All the food before Christmas, it's like all bets are off. No holds barred. Give me whatever you've got. I'll put it all on my plate. I want all that food and the pie and the cookies, and I'm stealing my kids' candy. I don't even care. It's Christmas. And then after Christmas, this week, we're confronted with the cold, harsh reality of the bathroom scale, and it's New Year's resolution time, I think, especially for me. Man, before Christmas is the nativity scene. Right, it's beautiful. Mary and Joseph, the manger and baby Jesus, the star and the wise men and the shepherds and the angelic choir singing and it's just great, the nativity scene. We wish we could go back to that. We want to go back to all these warm, comfortable parts of Christmas and now we're, we're at what's next because what's after Christmas for the nativity is the reality of the struggle of Jesus come to earth, what it really means that Jesus has come and why he's here The war that's being waged against the forces of heaven and hell. Why Jesus has come starts right after Christmas. Our Bible reading for the day, Jesus is dedicated in the temple according to Jewish law, but then immediately, right after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the mother and his child. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. King Herod of Israel was still threatened by Jesus' authority, still seeking to put him to death, trying to find him, to to the degree that he ordered all the boys, two and under in Bethlehem, killed, just to get to Jesus. And so they had to flee. They had to go to Egypt and live there for several years until an angel told them that it was safe to return back to Nazareth. That's the struggle. The the conflict that Jesus is a part of, part of the victory of Jesus' life, all the things that we just sang about, begins at Christmas time. The clip we watched is from The Lord of the Rings just a little bit ago. And and J.R.R. Tolkien, who was the author, was himself a Christian. And he had that conflict in mind when he was writing The Lord of the Rings and many of the other books he wrote around the the setting of Middle Earth, the kingdom that he he envisioned. This conflict between the forces of good and the forces of evil. and, And in the scene we watched, the kingdom of Gondor... A kingdom of men who is fighting on the side of good are besieged by the forces of evil. They're completely surrounded and they don't have enough people in their town to defend against Sauron's army that are attacking them. And so they need to light these fires on mountaintops to be able to signal the kingdom of Rohan to come to their aid, to help, to fight together, to win this war. And I don't know if you caught the the line that the wizard Gandalf spoke as the first couple of pyres on mountaintops were being lit. He said, hope is kindled. That's what Christmas time is for the church. For the world, really, hope is kindled. The light of heaven has come down. A flame has been lit. And even though we want to stay at Christmas time, we want to stay at the manger scene where things are warm, where that fire is. It's now up to us to light fires from mountaintop to mountaintop until the whole world has a chance to see the light of Jesus Christ. That's what our Bible reading points to today. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple as a part of Jewish law to have him dedicated. And Simeon is there, who is a temple attendant and a prophet filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had been promised that you will see the Messiah in your lifetime. You will see God's Son come to earth, the Savior of the world. And when he does, when he recognizes that this baby, Jesus, is the Messiah, this is what he said. Let's read these words together from Luke chapter 2. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of the people Israel. Everybody say all. All. Not, Not some, right? Not a few, not most. All. The Bible wants all. The mission of God is for all people everywhere to receive the light of Jesus Christ. And He said, the church, that's the church's job. So in 2018, What's coming up for Lutheran Church of Hope is going to be this year of missions. We believe that as a church, God has put us on this great mission, and we want to look at that all year long. What does it mean for us to be a church on mission for God? To take this light that Jesus brought at Christmas time and to share it, to spread it, to watch it grow the world over. That's what 2018 is going to be for us. And we want to start that even today, talking about missions. What are missions? What is the mission of the church? And I think there are three words I want to look at this morning that I believe can help us as a guide in this conversation. The words are on your screen. They are Christology, Missiology, and Ecclesiology, and that's what we're going to look at today. I was talking with a a pastor a number of years ago about this same topic, about missions and the church, and how do we describe this mission that we're on, that we're a part of as the church, and we were talking about these things, and this pastor said, well, that sounds fine for a seminary classroom, but I don't think that that's appropriate. will work for a message on a weekend at a church, and I, I completely disagreed. He didn't like that I disagreed, but I did. I told him what I'm going to tell you now, that we have to talk about these things because, well, A, I'm going to give us all a lot more credit than that. We're all bright people, and these aren't terribly difficult concepts. But B, we use big words because we're talking about big, important ideas. We're talking about God. We're talking about God's son. We're talking about the mission of the church. These are big, important thoughts, and we shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed about using big words to try our best to understand what it is that we're here to do, why the church exists, why you all came when the high today will not surpass negative digits, and you showed up. Why is that? Biblically, why do we want to be here? And what are we supposed to be doing? So, we're going to look at these words. Now, if you've ever wondered about the the ology endings for words like this, like theology or psychology, radiology, what does that ending mean? Well, that comes from a Greek word, logos. That's where the ending comes from, the suffix ology. It comes from the word logos in Greek. And if you were at Wells Fargo on Christmas Eve, you heard Pastor Mike talk a fair amount about the philosophical understanding of the word logos, that in the book of John, He writes about Jesus as the Word of God, the Logos of God, kind of with a capital L. And John was writing his gospel, his story of Jesus' life, to a Greek-speaking audience. And so when they read Jesus as the Word, the Logos of God, they would have understood the philosophical implications that Jesus is truth. He is the meaning of life. He is everything that exists, that God has shown up. In Jesus Christ and that's what logos means in the philosophical sense but like so many other words in Greek they mean a lot of different things and the lowercase understanding of logos the simplest definition is that it's just a written word or an idea or a matter of study and so when you see the ology ending it's just the study of whatever comes before it so theology theos is Greek for God theology is the study of God Christology it's pretty easy it's the study of Jesus who we think Jesus is, what the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ and what that means. Missiology, the same thing. What we think about missions. What is our mission as a church? What has Jesus told us to do? Missiology. And then ecclesiology. Ecclesia is the Greek word, uh, where we get the word church from. Community, ecclesia. Ecclesiology is what we think about the church. What's the church even for? So if theologies bother you, just think in terms of Jesus, mission, and church. And they go in that order. That's the proper order for these to go in because we can't think about the church or our mission before we understand who Jesus is. We have to understand as much as possible who Jesus is, what he has done, the light that came down at Christmas time, and then we need to understand mission in the light of Christ. And that will tell us what our identity is supposed to be as a church. But unfortunately, too many churches actually get this backwards because the church is, is tangible. It's easy for us to interact with. We're all here. You know, if we think about our, our church structure, our ecclesiology first, what kind of, what kind of style are we going to have? What, what sort of church should we even be? What denomination and what, you know, what doctrines and policies and budgets and all these things about the church, we, we consider those things first because they're easy for, easy for us to get our hands on. Well, and then actually that tells us what our mission is. Because by default, if we're going to be this kind of church and we've made that decision on our own... We're going to automatically reach a certain type of people only. And then tragically, that makes Jesus an afterthought. We've allowed our church structure to identify our mission to tell us who Jesus is in a very narrow box. And we can't do that. We can't be the church backwards. I'll give you a case study for this. The the very first church in the first century, Peter and James and John, the apostles, Paul after them, all they had to go on... For what the church really was, this new idea called the Ecclesia of Jesus Christ was Jesus himself. They watched him live, they heard him teach, he told them their mission, and so they went and did it. And they were the church based on the identity of Christ and the mission that he gave to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And that's what they did. All they had to go on was Jesus and his mission, and they made the church look like that, and it exploded. The first century church took over the Mediterranean region so fast that it became a huge problem for the Roman Empire at the time. If if there's a whole group of people in your population who are saying that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but that's supposed to be Caesar's job, but then you have a really big problem. So worshiping Jesus was illegal, and they would persecute and kill Christians to keep this movement down, but it continued to grow because they were a church based on the mission of Christ. They continued to plant churches and make disciples and spread out. So fast forward to the year 318 A.D., and the emperor Constantine recognizes that they can really no longer continue to kill Christians. There's just too many of them, and they'd end up doing away with most of the Roman population. So in 318, Constantine issues the Edict of Milan, where he decriminalizes Christianity, says it's no longer illegal to worship Jesus. And there are a couple of theories as to why he decided to do that. One was that people thought maybe he had converted to Christianity, and that was a thought. The other was that his mother was a Christian, and they thought maybe she pushed him into it. I actually have another theory. Constantine was a very smart ruler, and I think he recognized that the fastest way to put a movement down is not to persecute it, but to institutionalize it, to make it acceptable again to make it into a structure, a system. And so you fast forward from this edict just 50 years and Christianity is now the state religion of Rome. This piece of artwork depicts the bishop and the, uh, the pope and the emperor of Rome holding the cross together. It became a, a, a matter of politics at that point, just a matter of structure. And they started that at, that. at that point, the church began to think more about its structure, its identity, especially its hierarchy and how things worked as a church before they began to think about Jesus and their mission. Things changed. The movement slowed. And it wouldn't really even be until the 18th century that missions would again be recaptured as a vital part of the meaning of what it means to belong to the church. That's the consequence for getting this backwards, for looking at ourselves before we look into the Bible and see what Jesus is. We have to be the church. In order to be the church, we have to look at Christ in the Bible first, let him tell us what our mission is, and base our identity as a church on that. And that's what I see hope doing. Lutheran Church of Hope, our mission statement, you can read it on the wall when you leave, is to reach out to the world around us and to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We want to look into the Bible and see who is he. This is a church based on Jesus. And for his mission to the world. And so we have to do this biblically. And, and, and in order to do that, I think I want to look for, uh, look at one passage in scripture in particular. If you've got your Bible, you can open to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I think, actually lays this out in order. It starts with who Jesus is, his identity, what especially what Christmas tells us who Jesus is, and then it tells us his mission, and then it tells us how the church ought to behave to achieve that mission. So in Philippians chapter 2, it starts in verse 5, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And we're going to circle back around to that, underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. But then it tells us that Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The Greek there, cling to, it could also be um, to take advantage of. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus came down. He gave up heaven to come down for us and get us. Anytime somebody asks me, well, how can you say that Christianity, that Jesus is the only way to get to God? How can you be that limited? How can you exclude so many other world religions? Isn't God just at the top of the mountain and all the religions point up? You know, you just need to pick a path and climb. And I point to this verse and I say, that's not what Christianity is at all. God looked down from the mountain and saw that we couldn't get up, so he came down to get us. That's what Christianity is. It's not another path up the mountain. It's Jesus coming down to save up, giving up all of his privileges in heaven to come and rescue us. All the other world religions do offer a path up the mountain, but they're all pretty honest that no one's ever made it, and they don't think everybody, anybody ever will. There's no hope for actually achieving that goal, to know God really, In Christianity, God said it's the reverse. I'm coming to get you in Christ. I'm going to send my light from heaven and light a fire, kindle hope on earth so that it can spread. And not only did he come, he came to die. He came to die a death on the cross. Philippians 2 continues by saying he came here, took the form of a human being to die a criminal's death. The death that you and I owe the penalty that we are supposed to pay for our sins, the sins that we're born into, the sins that we willingly or even unwillingly commit, we deserve death for that, and Jesus paid that for us. Romans tells us about this. Romans chapter 3 on the next slide. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We do ourselves no favors when we try to diminish the importance of what Christ did. Why else would God have come to earth himself if our eternal life and death were not on the line? The souls of all people everywhere, why else would God have come if it weren't that serious? If the consequences for sin weren't eternal destruction? First, or Second Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 tell us that the people who don't believe in Jesus Christ are doomed to eternal ruin, separated from the power of God forever. The book of Jude 12 and 13 tell us that the people who don't believe in Jesus are doomed to wander in darkness forever. That's the measure of what Jesus did to rescue people, all people, everywhere from that darkness, from that evil, so that they could have the light in their lives for all of eternity. And that points us to what our mission is. If we serve a Jesus, a Christ, who has come down, given up everything to save us, Our mission is to let that light continue to spread. Philippians chapter 2 continues by saying this, He died a criminal's death so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's everyone, all people. When Simeon blesses Jesus, the baby at the temple, he said that this is a light for all the nations. When Jesus commissions the church in Matthew 28, 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, all, every. The Greek there is incredibly important. When we, when we hear the word nations, we think of, you know, lines on a map, right? Political, geographical countries in the world. And that's not what the Greek in the Bible is talking about. Whenever you see in the Bible all the nations, and it happens a lot, That Greek there is panta ta ethne. All of the ethnicities of the world, all of the people groups of the world are who God expects us to reach, where the light needs to go. So how are we doing? How are we doing? If this is a start to the new year and we're going to be focused on missions, maybe it's appropriate for us to take stock of our progress in this mission and where we have left to go. The Joshua Project has been around for... For a long time, really, and they've made it their mission to catalog and categorize all of the different people groups of the earth so that we can figure out exactly how reached this world is for the gospel. You can go to joshuaproject.net and you can. I, I love just spending time on there learning about people groups I've never even heard of because of the 7.4 billion people on the world today. There are 195 countries, if you didn't know, 195 political geographical countries in the world, but there are 16,839 unique ethnic groups, and 41% do not have the light of Christ, are unreached, unreached defined as they do not have a sustainable Christian presence among them whatsoever. 7,000 people groups, 3 billion people do not. The light that we are supposed to light from mountaintop to mountaintop to all the people groups of the world has not reached 41% of those. And you might even say, well, how can this be? We're a, we're a globalized society now. There, there have to be Christians in every country, and there are in the 195 countries. But let's just take India as a case study. India is the second most populated country on earth. There are 1.34 billion people who are citizens of the political country of India. But of that people, population, there are 2,536 unique ethnic groups just in that country. 245 different languages in the country of India alone. And only 2% of the total population are Christian. 90% have never heard of Jesus and only and 62 languages still don't have any part of the Bible. Most of the languages of India only have some of the Bible. 62 languages have none. And it's not as though the country of India is just getting on the radar screen, that it's this new phenomenon. It's thought that one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, Thomas, sailed to India to start spreading the gospel there, right after the life that Jesus lived. The father of modern missions, a man named William Carey, in the late 1700s, sailed from Great Britain to Calcutta, India, right there, and he spent the last 40 years of his life planting churches and making disciples in India for the gospel. He himself, William Carey, translated seven of the Indian languages, translated the Bible into seven of the languages of India in just 40 years of his life. And he died there. And still, 62 languages have no Bible, and 90% of India are unreached. The mission is as alive today as it ever was. We still have work to do. The fires that need to be lit are needing to be lit by us on mountaintop to mountaintop. If we serve a Jesus who was sent to earth to die for our sins, and if he puts us on the mission to go, then we have to go. We don't have a choice not to go to the nations, to let everybody hear about what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. This light that came down from heaven at Christmas time there's the day after Christmas for us, and it's here. We have to go. In 2018, Hope is gonna be sending dozens of teams around the world. You can be, Hope Ankeny is sponsoring the South Africa trip in October. You can go online and sign up for that. You can explore our missions page and see where all the trips we're taking this year that you could be a part of to go. I'll be leading a trip in June to, to New Mexico, to the Navajo people in New Mexico, where we can help them. This is a family trip, so children five and up can go on this trip because we want the next generation of our church to know about the mission of Jesus, how important it is that all people everywhere have a chance to hear about Jesus' salvation. And so next Sunday, you can come to a meeting after church uh, just downstairs in the lower level, and we'll talk all about Mission Navajo in June. We have to go, and we go as a team. All of these things we do, we do together. Philippians makes this interesting turn in chapter 2. You know, it's told us about Jesus giving up his divine privileges, being taking the form of a slave to save us. And then it tells us our mission is for all people everywhere. And then it kind of makes this weird pivot. It says in verse 14, "Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people." It doesn't really seem to fit, does it? Until you think that this letter was written to the church of the Philippians, a church plant in Greece, the first church plant in Europe, how the church needs to behave in order for this light to stay lit. I think one of the most powerful weapons that Satan uses against the church completing its mission, I don't think it's sin, I don't think it's temptation necessarily, I think his most powerful weapon against the church is actually division. There, there's no faster way to put us down to keep us from doing what God called us to do than the fights that we have over our ecclesiology, those, those doctrines and practices and styles and those things that we wrestle over so much and waste our time fighting about. That's what actually keeps us from focusing on who Jesus is and the mission that he's called us to complete. We need to get along. We can't be arguing with each other over those things. How will the world believe in the light of Christ if they look at us and they just see division and conflict? The light that Jesus gave to us the day after Christmas for us that we need to shine like bright lights in a world that's broken and dark happens when we do it together, when we come together, when we rally around each other, pick each other up off the ground, encourage each other to keep going, to fight harder, to fight longer, to stay strong in our faith and to keep going. In the Lord of the Rings, when... um, Frodo, the main character, who is tasked with taking the ring of power and destroying it, to break the bonds of evil over the world. And and he and his partner, Sam, are traveling together. They've been traveling for a long time, and the burden of this responsibility has been weighing so heavily on him that they begin to fight. They get into a great conflict with each other, and it completely throws them off of their own mission until this happens. Let's watch. This is a fight worth fighting. The, the, the battle that's being waged for the people in this world who are wandering in darkness is worth fighting, and it's hard. There, there's no point in, in us pretending that it's not difficult to go to the ends of the earth to reach all the people of the world. And that's why we do it together. That's why we walk this path together. Tolkien, in the first book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, wrote this. He said, The paths that you shall each tread are already laid before your feet, though you do not see them. And I wonder this morning, as we, you know, emerge into 2018 what the path that God has laid at your feet to walk in this mission? What is the path that's set in front of you that you may not even see yet that God expects you to be on for this mission to be completed in the world? Will you be the next one to go to India or to China or to South Africa? Will you be the one to walk across the street to your neighbor who doesn't know anything about Christ or down the hall of your classroom or your workplace? What's that path that Jesus is putting before your feet for this critical mission the path that was before Christ's own feet led him to the cross where he was victorious over the grave and and the song we're about to sing rallies us together and reminds us that we're not fighting this fight alone that Christ continues to fight with us we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and that we can proclaim this great good news we can continue to shine Jesus' light from mountaintop to mountaintop until the whole world has a chance to hear of who he is and the love and the salvation that he brings to all people everywhere. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us, a time to reflect on a year gone by and to look forward to what you have for us as a church in 2018. I pray God that you would make us a church convicted of our mission, that we would be so firmly focused on who you are and what you've asked us to be that our identity would be completely wrapped up in following you to the ends of the earth. I pray also that you would bring us unity that you would drive out all division from us, God. Keep us a church that is strengthened by the unity of your spirit and the love of your son. Help us to encourage one another this year as as we continue to push forward and to see more people know who you are and to receive your light in Jesus' name.